Well, good morning. Welcome to Fresh Start Church online. So glad to have you with us for today's podcast. Uh, today, we're going to be wrapping up our series called Choosing Joy. We've talked about how to have joy uh, despite your circumstances. We've talked about how to bring joy into your relationships. Uh, we've talked about how to have joy as you look at the future. And today, we're going to talk about how to get your joy back. Uh, earlier this week, I, I went to Walmart to pick up a few things, and, and as I turned down one of the lanes looking for a place to park, the car in front of me stopped. And I assumed they were you know, waiting to pull into a, an empty space, but I looked to the left, I looked to the right, there, there were no empty spaces. And then I looked to see if someone was pulling out of the parking space, if that's what they were waiting on. But again, I looked to the left, I looked to the right, I didn't see anybody pulling out. And then I realized they were sitting there waiting, blocking the entire lane, waiting for someone who was still pushing their cart down the lane, who hadn't even gotten to their car yet. Man, that made me mad. That made me mad. You know, anytime that that happens to me, if I'm being blocked by someone who's waiting on someone else, the person they're waiting on is always the slowest walker. And, and so they walk so slowly, just inch by inch towards their car. And, and then they get to the car and they turn from being the slowest walker to the slowest unpacker. One item at a time, they take it out of their cart. They put it in, the, in their car and it takes forever. Then they finally get in the car and they start eating some of the snacks they just bought at the store. Then they grab their phone. They start calling a few friends. Well, let me just tell you, as I was sitting here with this car blocking me from getting a parking space, my joy meter went down and my anger went up. I mean, I got madder and madder and madder. And so finally, I, I very slowly and very gently came up behind the car that was blocking the lane. And I was getting ready just to let my bumper touch theirs, just gently understand. And then I was going to gun it and push them out of the way down the lane. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wasn't going to do that, but I was mad. I, I felt like doing that. But as I got closer to the car, you know what I saw? And this really ticked me off. On the back window of their car was the I Love Jesus sticker. And next to it was something else about God. And next to it was something else about God. And I thought, oh man, I've, I just got so mad at another Christian. And then I thought, wait a minute, I'm, I'm a Christian. I, I believe in Jesus. I, I'm a Christ follower. I shouldn't get mad like that. And then I thought, wait a minute. I'm a pastor. I'm a church planter. I thought, what if I what if I honk my horn and yell at those people, and then and then they visit Fresh Start next week? Even worse, what if they visited last week, and then I get mad at them? I immediately realized that my anger robbed me of joy. I didn't feel joy at that moment. I felt nothing but anger and frustration. And I realized how silly that was. And I just said, God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry that I let something like, like having to wait a few minutes behind a car get me that mad. Is your joy meter on empty today? Or has there been a time in the past when, when your joy meter has gone all the way down to empty? Uh, are there times when you feel like you're just going through the motions of your faith? You, you're going to church, you're reading the Bible, you're praying, but you aren't experiencing joy 
like you used to. Or maybe you're not experiencing joy right now, and maybe you never have. We talk about joy, and you really don't even know what I'm talking about in regards to your faith. Well, you picked a good day to come to church, because we're going to talk about the number one thing that drains our joy, and we're going to learn exactly how to get our joy back. If you want to get your joy back, do what I did in the parking lot at Walmart. You can jot this down. If you're if you're listening at home, don't do this if you're driving, but if you're listening at home, uh, grab a piece of paper and, and, and jot down some notes here. The first thing you've got to do to get your joy back is what I did in the Walmart parking lot, and that was repent quickly. Repent quickly. <clears throat> And, and for those of you that, that attend our, our Sunday services, I just I just want to make mention of, of the value of notes. You know, I know some people are note takers, some aren't. Valerie is a big note taker. I'm not really a big note taker. But here's the value. Here, here's why every week we, we hand you a, a bulletin with my outline, with fill in the blanks, with all the scriptures that we look at, uh, and, and more scriptures that you can read each day throughout the week based on the same topic. Here's why we do that. One, by taking notes, by writing things down, it helps you remember them. It just helps it go a little deeper in your mind. And two, you can use those notes in the future. You you may, maybe today you're doing good, but in the future you're struggling with not having joy. You can grab this those notes and look back on them and be encouraged and remember this message. And also, you can use those notes to help other people. So even on a Sunday where maybe that topic, maybe we're talking about marriage, and and, and you're single and, and don't plan on getting married, but you know other married people, and you know people that are struggling in their marriage, you can help your notes from Sunday to help other people. You can use them to help other people find and follow Jesus. So here's what happened. Because I repented quickly in the Walmart parking lot, the anger didn't continue to burn on me. I mean, it could have made me mad all day. It didn't. Because I repented quickly, I didn't lose all my joy. I was starting to lose my joy. I repented, and my joy was back. Today, we're going to look at the the story of repentance of King David. If you're not familiar with him, uh, King David was, the Bible said he was a man after God's own heart. He was a tremendous leader. Uh, he, he was probably most famous early in his life for, for bringing down Goliath, this giant, back when David was, was just a kid, a little shepherd boy. But as David became king, and we're not, we're not going to look at the story of his sin today uh, in Scripture, but I'm just going to just describe it for those of you that aren't, that aren't familiar. Uh, David was king, and one day he was up on the rooftop looking out over Jerusalem, and he saw this woman bathing, and she was and she was nude. She didn't have any clothes on. And David lusted after her. He desired her, and he sent for her, and he slept with her. And then she got pregnant, and he wanted to try to cover up her pregnancy. So her husband was a, a, a man in David's army off to war. And so he, he called for her husband, had him brought back to town, thinking, well, he'll come back to town. And when he gets here, he'll sleep with his wife. They have, later, they'll find out she's pregnant. He won't ever know it's not his baby. Well, that plan didn't work out. So he ended up having her husband sent to the front lines where he was killed. 
So King David, this righteous king, this great example of godliness, committed adultery and then had someone killed to cover it up. And he didn't repent. He didn't repent until a guy named Nathan came along and Nathan confronted David. He did it He did it in an interesting way. And we'll look at that story again in depth uh, in the near future. But he, he, he confronted David with his sin. And then David repented. You know, so often we don't repent until our sin is uncovered. We don't repent until somebody exposes us. But it would always be better if we would repent quickly, always. You know why we don't repent quickly? Sometimes it's just rebellion. We we're just have no interest in repentance. We're proud of our sin, and we just keep on doing it. Sometimes it's contentment. We, we might not be proud of our sin, but we're not ashamed of it either. We're just content. We, we've got some favorite sins that we just kind of keep holding on to, and so we never repent of them. Sometimes we don't repent because it, it would make us feel guilty or ashamed. And that's really pride. Pride is, I don't want anyone to know what I've done wrong. Repent quickly. It's the best thing for you. It's the best thing for, for your uh, reputation. It's the best thing for your relationship with God. So I want to tell you, just before we look at King David's example of repentance, I want to tell you what repentance is and, and, and what it's not. Because a lot of people get this mixed up. Repentance isn't just apologizing. It's not just apologizing for what you've done wrong. If you're a parent, have you ever made your kids or, or, or grandkids, have you made them apologize? You know, and, and sometimes this happens in the church nursery. Sometimes it happens when you have a family or friends over and, and all of a sudden one of the kids is crying. You say, what happened? And they say, oh, he hit me or he took my toy. If it's your child that was accused, you go over to them and say, did you take their toy? And they go, yeah. You say, you go apologize. Tell them you're sorry. And they go up and they say, sorry. They're forced to apologize. And, and, and that's well-meaning, but it's usually not sincere. It's usually not heartfelt, and they're probably going to go do it again. See, apologizing is different than repentance. People say they're sorry, but then they don't change. That's not repentance. Here's what repentance is. You can jot this down. Repentance is turning away from your sin and turning to God. Repentance is turning away from your sin and it's turning to God. You know, some people ask God to forgive their past, but they don't turn away from it. They say, yes, I want to receive Jesus as my Savior. Yes, I, I want to place my faith in Jesus and receive the gift of, of forgiveness and the gift of eternal life. And so they ask God to, to come into their life. They put their faith in Jesus. They ask him to forgive everything they've done wrong, but they don't turn away from it. You know, the military, uh, I, I've never been in the military, didn't, didn't have the privilege to serve our country. I, I'm so thankful for those that have and, and that those that are today. But there's very common terms that we all know. When, when, when soldiers are marching and they say, halt, everybody stops. And then they say, about face, everybody turns around, forward, march, and they start marching in a new direction. 
That's what repentance is. Repentance is we stop what we're doing wrong, we turn around, and we march forward, turning to God into a deeper relationship with God. You know, a lot of times people just look at repentance as a statement. Uh, I'm sorry, please forgive me, and then they check a box. And, and it removes their guilt. But when we look at David's prayer that we're about to, to study in Psalm 51, we see that repentance is turning away from sin and turning towards God. And it's a process. And it doesn't just get rid of our guilt. It also produces deep joy. So grab your Bible. Uh, look with me at Psalm 51. And we're going to be looking at uh, verses 1 through uh, 17 today. And I use the NLT. People say, what translation do you use? Uh, I use the New Living Translation. Uh, I, I believe that it's the easiest to understand while still being uh, accurate. And there's times when I'll use other translations, but I just, just find that to be the, the, the easiest for people to understand. And so I, I love to preach from it. So David starts off Psalm 51 by saying, have mercy on me, O God. You know, in the Bible, you'll see the word mercy and the word grace a lot. And, and sometimes people aren't sure of the difference. And so they'll actually interchange those two words, but they mean very different things. Mercy means not getting what we deserve. And grace means getting what we don't deserve. So, for example, we, we don't deserve the gift of salvation. But through God's grace we can be saved. We do deserve God's wrath because we're, we're, we're sinners and we've rebelled against God. But God's mercy is that he withholds his wrath from us when we place our faith in Jesus. So mercy and grace. Mercy is not getting what you deserve and grace is getting what you don't deserve. And so David says, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Did you ever have a restaurant that you love to go to and then something changed? Maybe they changed the menu. Maybe the chef changed. Maybe the, the, the manager or the owner changed. And you just don't love it anymore. In fact, you, you just stop going. Or have you ever had a store that you love to shop at? And then something changes. I used to love to shop at JCPenney's when it was Christmas or Valerie's birthday or Mother's Day. Pennies was, was my place, man. I loved all the deals. I loved the coupons that came out every week. I loved the sales every week. And then they completely changed and stopped having those sales and stopped having uh, coupons and discounts. And I didn't love it anymore. In fact, I didn't even like it, and I stopped going there. Valerie used to love to go to outlet malls back when they really were manufacturers' outlets, when they really did take products that uh, – that, that were left and they sent them to these stores and it really was the top quality name brand product, same thing you'd buy in the mall, but here it was in an outlet store. Now outlets, uh, they, they don't get the same quality merchandise. They get a, a lower quality that's made just for the outlet stores. And so she doesn't love them anymore. I can't tell you the last time we went to an outlet store. You know, maybe you've experienced falling in love and out of love with someone, or someone has been in love with you and then they told you they didn't love you anymore. Because of our experiences with love being something that can be so temporary, it's hard for us to understand that God's love is unfailing. 
God's love is unconditional. It's permanent. And so David says, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stains of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Jot this down. Sin robs us of joy. It robs us of joy. When we sin, we are rebelling against God. And so it hurts our relationship with him. You know, sin robs us of joy. We learned the very first week, and I've mentioned it each week of this series, that joy comes from Christ as we live in Christ and for Christ. And so when we choose to sin, we're choosing to live for ourselves instead of living in Christ. When we choose to sin, we're choosing to live for our own flesh instead of living for Christ. Verse 4, David says, against you and you alone have I sinned. I've done what's evil in your sight, and you will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just, for I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. David does something so important here. He takes responsibility for his sin. He doesn't blame anything else. He doesn't blame anyone else. He doesn't say, well, it was it was the environment I was raised in. He doesn't say, well, somebody else led me to do it. No, he takes responsibility. That's, that's such a good example compared to Adam and Eve. You know, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, they broke the only rule God gave them, only one, and they broke it. And, and when, God, when God confronted them with what they'd done, Adam didn't take responsibility. He blamed Eve. And he said, that woman that you gave me. And so he blamed God too. He blamed Eve, that woman, she made me do it. And you gave her to me. So he's blaming Eve and he's blaming God for his own sin. And then Eve blamed Satan. She blamed the serpent in the story. So much better if we'll just take responsibility. Verse 6. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins and I'll be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Have you ever thought your sin was too big or too bad for God to forgive? Have you ever doubted whether God could or would forgive you? You know, King David, who the Bible says was a man after God's own heart, committed adultery and murder, not before he was a believer, while he was a believer, not in his distant past before he became appointed by God as king. He did it while he was king, while he was a leader. But notice David's faith here. I will be clean. I will be whiter than snow. He knows God can do it. And I want you to know that God can do it in your life too. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how big your sin has been. I don't care what your past is. God can forgive you. If you will repent and turn to God, he will forgive you. Verse 8, David says, Oh, give me back my joy again. My joy. His sin took it away. It drained it. It robbed it. 
And now he's asking God to give it back. I love how the King James puts that. It says to make me hear joy and gladness. You know, there's joy all around us. There's gladness all around us. But when we're in sin, we can't hear it. We can't see it. We can't experience it. So David says, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Verse nine, don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. David doesn't try to clean up his act. He doesn't try to clean his own heart. And he doesn't just ask God to, to, to clean his old heart. He says, create in me a new heart, a clean heart. Create it. No one but the creator can do that. Then he says, renew a loyal spirit within me. Verse 11, do not banish me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Jot this down. Repentance brings restoration. See, our sin separates us from the people that we sin against, but repentance can restore our relationships. Our sin separates us from God. It, it, it does damage to our relationship with God, but repentance can restore our relationship with God. Verse 13, then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. So King David, who rebelled against God, repented, he returned to God, and now he tells God that he's going to teach other people who are far away from God. How does that work? Well, 3,000 years later, he's teaching us this morning. He's teaching us through his story of repentance. And I want you to know that your story of repentance can be used by God, not just to restore you, but to help lots of other people return to him. Your story of repentance can help people find and follow Jesus Christ. That's our mission here at Fresh Start, to help people find and follow Jesus Christ. And your repentance of your past sins, your present sins, can be used to help people find and follow Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Verse 14, forgive me for shedding blood. Oh, God who saves, then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering, verse 17, but the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. When you sincerely repent, God will not reject you. He will welcome you back into an intimate relationship with him. God's arms are always wide open waiting for us to come back. No matter how far away from him we go, no matter how deep we dive into sin, and trust me, I've dived as deep as you can dive. As soon as we turn and head back to God, his arms are wide open. He won't reject you. He'll receive you. Sin will rob you of joy. It will rob you of every ounce of joy you ever had. But if you'll repent quickly, if you'll turn away from your sin and turn to God, your relationship with God will be restored and your joy will return. One more thing to jot down 
Repent often. Often. How often? Every time you sin. Big sins, little sins. God, I'm sorry for getting mad at those people parked in front of me. Help me to not do that again. Big sins, little sins. Repent. Repent. It's such a powerful thing that, that literally changes our life. One of my seminary professors traveled all over the world speaking and, and training other pastors. And he would travel with a mentor of his. And he said that when they'd be out, out tra literally traveling the world together, his mentor would say, Steve, what have you had to repent of in the last hour? Now, here's two godly men. Here's two pastors. Here's two leaders. Leaders among leaders. Pastor to pastors. And they recognized the need to repent quickly and to repent repeatedly. They recognize that the quicker we can, we can recognize our sin, the better off we'd be. What if David had done that? What, what if David had repented quickly? What if the minute that he realized that he had gone from looking at this woman bathing to lusting after her? What if he had turned his head and said, God, I'm sorry for, for lusting after that woman. I'm sorry. He could have repented right then and the story would be over. He didn't do that. He sent for her. He slept with her, committed adultery, got her pregnant. And, and even then, after that had happened, what if he had said, God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry for committing adultery, for sleeping with another man's wife. I'm sorry, God. He could have repented. And her husband wouldn't have died, but he didn't. Repent quickly and repent often. That's King David's story of repentance. Now I want to share with you my story of repentance and restoration. Back around 2002, I was asked to come fill in at a church. Their pastor had retired the previous week, and, and I was asked to come preach that one Sunday, and I did. And the church was nothing like our preference or our style. It was old. It was dead. It was uh, 40 years old and there was 25, uh, 25 people there. Um, but they asked me to come back the second week, and I came back and, and preached the second week. And as we left after that second Sunday, Valerie looked at me, and, and I looked at her, and we both knew God was going to call us to that church. We just knew. And it was nothing there to be attractive or appealing to us, but it was God. And it took them quite a few months to, to form their pastor search committee and collect resumes. And, and finally, uh, they called me as pastor. And I was so excited because I, I really believed that God had, had brought me to that church, that it was truly a God thing. It wasn't a career decision. In fact, it, it paid so little that the, the deacon, when he presented me with the offer, cried that I accepted it. But it didn't matter what the offer was. We knew that that's where God was calling us. And for the first year, man, I was all in. I gave it everything I had. I preached my guts out every week. And for an entire year, not one person who visited came back. Not one. And to make it worse, through my great 
leadership skills and and communication skills, I eventually preached to that church from 25 down to 11. I still remember the Sunday that I looked out and I made people look around the room. I said, count how many people are here. There's 11. Because I believe we're going to look back on this day in, in, in awe of what God has done. Well, God began to do some things. And, and we made major changes and we, we transitioned the church from being an, an older traditional church that was kind of inward focused uh, to a more contemporary church, outward focused. We changed the name. We, we took out the pews and put in chairs. We changed the style of music. We changed, it, we changed everything. We changed everything. We treated it like a brand new church and we began reaching new people. And we had lots of ups and downs, but we began reaching new people, and God kept sending us people. We reached a lot of people that were struggling with, with drug addictions. We reached prostitutes and strippers and, and all the kind of people that like to hang out with Jesus. And the church began to grow, and we would see people come to faith in Christ, and it continued to grow over the years. And 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 it was common to see someone come to faith in Christ every week. And when we do baptisms, we'd often have 10, 15, 20 people being baptized. It was such a powerful time of seeing life after life changed by God. And I became kind of the, the poster boy of church renewal. And lots of people would ask me to talk about, you know, what we'd done and how it had worked. And, and it was all God. We just tried to follow him. But the church grew. And from, from that 11, we grew back up to 25 and eventually to 50 and 75. And I, I remember when we passed 100 people. And, and then I remember uh, when we had over 200 come. And I remember when we went from one service to two services. And then I remember when we got up to 300 people coming and we were doing three services in a, in a little tiny building. It held 160 people. And finally, we got up to about 350, 375 people. And man, everything we did was just about reaching more people. You know, we didn't build up a savings account. We took the money and used it to, to reach more people. And that continued, and it was great, and it was powerful, and it continued until I got ahead of God. I got ahead of God. I think my intentions were good, but, but, but my ego maybe got in the way. My pride got in the way. And I got ahead of God, and, and, and we had a, a, a roof leak, and the roof had to be repaired, and we didn't have money. As so we tried to raise money, but people really didn't come through with their giving. And so all of a sudden, we started going into debt to pay for the roof, to pay for the new air conditioning. And instead of just uh, being more cautious, I just kept uh, spending more money that would come in on trying to reach more people. And it just continued and continued and continued. And we went further and further in debt. And I was the only person that knew about it. I didn't let people know. I tried to fix it by myself, and it just got worse. We outgrew the building, and we were going to move to a, a school. And so we, we had to buy $100,000 worth of equipment. It's expensive to be a, a portable church. We had to buy two 24-foot trailers and, and a stage and sound system and lighting and all the kids' ministries. I mean, it was a huge deal. And the financing on that fell through after it was delivered. So all of a sudden we owed a hundred thousand more dollars and couldn't pay for it. And I didn't let anybody know. 
And it just got worse and worse. The more I tried to fix it, the more I tried to solve it in my own strength and my own power, the bigger the problem got. And I just kept trying to cover it up and keep it quiet and not let anybody know. And finally, the day came when it was uncovered. And person after person found out. And then we finally put together a team to try to deal with this. And, and honestly, their solution was get rid of me. Uh, even those that said they had my back. And would, one, one man literally said I would kick down the doors of hell for Bruce Cadle. And a week later, he wouldn't even meet with me. And I'm not blaming him. It's my fault. It was all my fault. And so finally, only because it was uncovered, I confessed to all of our leaders on a Saturday. And this Sunday, I confessed to the whole church. I repented. And I felt free, finally, because I repented. I knew that God could restore me. I knew that God could restore the church. But the church was going to be split. And if you know the story in the Old Testament about the baby that was going to be cut in half to try to decide who, who, who was the mom, who was going to get this baby, the baby was going to get cut in half. And so instead of letting that happen, I stepped down. It was the hardest decision I've ever made in my 63 years of life. I stepped down from the church that I had given everything to, but I had also messed everything up. And I had so much guilt and so much shame, even though I had repented before God, I had repented to the church, I still felt terrible. And I felt that way for years. And it was so bad that if I was at the store and I would see someone that had been at our church, I would think, oh, I don't know if they love me or hate me, because lots of people still loved me, but there were some people that hated me. And even though I knew I was forgiven, by God. And, and a year or so later, some people came over um, and, and apologized for, for believing some things that weren't true. And that, that helped in the healing process. And, and, I, and I went through pastoral counseling, and that helped. But I still carried this weight with me for all these years. And just a few months ago, I went to a pastor's meeting, and when I walked in the door, there was the current pastor of that church. Now, he, he wasn't there when I was the pastor. My worship pastor uh, became the pastor when I left, and he, he sold the church's property, uh, used a lot of the money, and, and went portable, and they, they changed the name twice, and they moved lots of different times. And then when he left, the current pastor became the lead pastor. But I walk into this pastor's meeting, and there's the current pastor of the church I used to pastor. And to make matters worse, there was only one empty chair, and it was at the table right next to his table, but the chair was right next to his chair. So I came in, and I sat down. The meeting was, was in progress, and I sat there, and I just died. I thought, oh, man, you know, I'm... I'm planting a new church. God has restored me. Things are good. And now, now I got to deal with this again. And so I just decided I'm going to deal with it head on. And the very first break, I turned around and I introduced myself to him. And I said, I'm so thankful 
for how God has used you to turn that church around and to help it grow again. And I've heard so many good things about you, and I just thank God for you. And on the next break, he came up to me and he said, can we talk afterwards? And I thought, oh, no. Oh, no, I don't want to do that. And I said, sure, sure. Because I know I had, had to just deal with it. Head on, had to get over it. And so we went back to where his church is meeting. And we walked at the door. And I, I just thought he was there to just blast me. And instead he blessed me. But he walked in the door and I just said, I want to let you know I'm so sorry for anything you've had to do to clean up the mess that I made all those years ago. And man, he didn't have a bad word to say. In fact, it was such an encouraging time. It was such a, a, a restorative time to hear his perspective. And it brought so much healing to my heart. It made me feel so much better. And then probably a month or so after that, he asked if I'd like to get together for lunch. And so we went to lunch together and it, it was just it was just a wonderful time. It was a wonderful time to talk, to, to kind of, you know, compare notes and, and talk about COVID and how we're going to handle this. And, and, and then, you know, we've talked since then multiple times when, when, when we were no longer allowed to meet in the building that we were just getting started in here at Fresh Start. He reached out to me and offered his church's building. He said, if you guys want to meet at a different time, we meet on Sunday morning. If you want to meet at a different time, you know, we can work something out to where you could use our building. That blew me away. It blew me away. And another time, just with some tech issues with streaming and stuff, and he offered to help. And, and we went out to lunch again this week and spent three hours together. And I now call him friend. The guy that I didn't want to see, I didn't want to talk to has turned into such a blessing in my life. And so I thank God. I thank God that my sin was uncovered. I wish I had repented quickly. I didn't. But I thank God that my sin was uncovered and that I was able to repent, that I was able to be restored by God and now even restored with the former church. God is a God of restoration. You've heard King David's story of repentance, and now you've heard my story of repentance. The final story of repentance is yours. Today is the day for you to ask God to show you. You may already know the sin in your life that needs to be repented of. Maybe you don't. Ask God, God, would you show me anything in my life that needs to be repented of? Would you show me anything in my life that's, that's not pleasing to you? And give me the power to repent. Today can be the day of your repentance and your restoration with God. Today can be the day of your repentance and your restoration with other people who you may have hurt. And I just want to close by saying one more thing. Maybe you don't have joy. Maybe if you were really, really honest, you would say, Bruce, it's not that I've lost my joy. I don't have it. I just don't have it. 
Or, or if you were to ask the people around me, if they think I'm a joyful person, they would say, no way. Let me suggest that even, even though you may have prayed a prayer, you may have walked an aisle, you may have made a profession of faith in Jesus, let me suggest that if you don't have any joy in your life and you never have, you might not know Jesus. You might not truly be saved. Because joy comes from Christ as we live in Christ and for Christ, and if it comes from Christ, and he's not holding it back, and you don't have joy, maybe you don't really know Jesus Christ. Maybe you go to church every week. Maybe you serve in, in this church, Fresh Start, or somewhere else. Maybe you've been in church. Maybe you go to a, a connect group. If you don't have any joy and you never have, then maybe it's because you don't even have a relationship with Jesus. And, and today can be the day that that happens. Today can be the day that you turn away from your sin and you turn to God. Father God, I, I pray for everyone listening. And I ask God that you would bring repentance so that we can experience joy. I pray for anyone, Father, that may not be saved. They may not have really ever put their faith in Jesus. Maybe they've, they've said some words, but they've never experienced it. The Spirit of God's not living in them. Father, right now, would you just speak to them and save them? Give them a desire to turn away from their sin and to you right now. For the purpose of repentance, for the purpose of restoration, and to bring you glory and honor forever. Thank you so much for joining us today. For those of you that are staying home because of uh, COVID-19, I totally understand the list of, of our folks that are doing that grows daily. I totally understand. I love you. We're still here for you. If we can help you in any way, please don't hesitate to let me know. And next week, we're going to kick off a new series called Discovering God's Will. If you've got some decisions or maybe you've made some bad decisions in the past you wish you hadn't made, maybe you're wrestling with some things right now, some decisions for the future, don't miss this series. It starts next Sunday, Discovering God's Will. We'll be doing it in person, and I'll be doing it here on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. God bless you. Have a great day.